This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Thanks for being back, and we'll be continuing in our series on missions. And our topic tonight is tied in with uh, what we talked about last week, the Great Commission. But we're going to hone in a little bit on this question, what is the mission? All right, and the title we have here is Missions versus Missional. And we'll understand that a little better as we get into the topic here. But before we get into that, I want to talk about mission drift. All right, that's a term that's going around a lot these days. And uh, this is a picture here of Harvard University. All right, it was founded in 1636. For the, this, this was their uh, stated purpose. It was to prepare ministers of upright character for the gospel ministry. So fast forward, uh, you know, almost 400 years now, we can say that the mission of that institution gradually shifted by degrees until today. I think it would be totally unrecognizable to its founders. It's, you know, now it's one of the most prestigious and liberal of the Ivy League schools. And so an institution can, by degrees, drift so far from where it started as to be almost unrecognizable. In the case of Harvard, it started out as a Christian institution. And so I want us to consider that as we look at some examples. I'm calling them case studies here. But I want us to look at a couple examples from history of of cases where an organization ended up with this mission drift. And the first one I want to look at is called the Student Volunteer Movement. All right? And um, I don't know how clearly you can see the picture, but down at the bottom here it says, Mount Hermon, Massachusetts, July 1886. So this is a, um, a movement that was started out of a, a retreat that was hosted by D.L. Moody. All right? He had a a place up in Massachusetts, in Mount Hermon, Massachusetts, and he hosted this, this, uh, this meeting. And while he was there, there was, there was a few people that were very, very burdened about world missions. And so um, over the course of that meeting, they surrendered to missions and began to encourage other people to surrender to missions. At the end of that, 100 college students had surrendered to go to the foreign mission field. And from there, they went out and spread out to colleges all across the U.S., all across the world, recruiting college students to get involved with world missions. And they had what they called a watchword, which was kind of like a slogan or a motto. It, was called, it said, the evangelization of the world in this generation. That was their motto. And, and this was something that motivated, over the course of this movement, over 20,000 young people who actually went to the foreign mission field under the auspices of the student volunteer movement. And it was associated with the YMCA back when that was really the Young Men's Christian Association. However, it was a short-lived movement. It had a very dramatic decline starting from about 1920 until it finally just, just was totally dissolved in 1969. And there was a few reasons for that. Um, some of it was, was changes in the culture in America. You know, what had just happened before 1920? World War I. And that was really uh, caused a lot of people to be disillusioned um, with Western civilization. 
uh, losing their faith. This is also happening during the time of the Industrial Revolution, and there's lots of growing pains and social issues and poverty and labor you know, unions and all these types of things. And along with those changes in culture, there was changes in Christianity. And there was one particular teaching that became very popular. They called it the social gospel. And so these theologians began to come along and they said, you know what, it's not enough to have this individual salvation. We need social salvation. There's a man named Rauschenbusch. And he uh, asserted that religion's chief purpose was to create the highest quality of life for all citizens. And so, just in a nutshell, all these, these de mainstream denominations, they start getting involved in this social work, campaigning for better wages, better working conditions, campaigning against alcohol, and this emphasis began to creep into the student volunteer movement. And the students began to be more interested in economic, social, political issues than in world evangelism. And eventually the leadership began to adopt these attitudes as well. One of their leaders, John Mott, actually said this. He said, we may seriously question whether we have a Christianity worth propagating over the world. Why go preach the gospel of the heathen when there's wars, hatred, economic injustice, racism, etc. here at home? And so by the end of the 1920s, they dropped the watchword. It wasn't about evangelization anymore. And uh, by the 1930s, it was almost completely defunct. And it continued on as a shell of its own self, former self until they voted themselves out of existence in 1969. And so here we have one of the largest mission movements in, in, in modern history, at least, that was hijacked by a faulty understanding of the mission of the church. They embraced a different gospel, the social gospel, and from that time on, the movement was doomed. So... That's history. Let's move along. The place is Malawi, Central Africa, the year 2014. This is a little closer to home. A missionary named Brian Biedebach did a survey of evangelical missionaries in the country and got these results based off of this question. Okay, so he surveyed them with this question. This is evangelical. These are people who believe the Bible is the word of God. People need to be, believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. He said, what missionary position best describes your role here in Malawi? And I understand this is a little, maybe a little bit hard to see. So we have here the percentages. So we have some, this is how many people said, oh, I would describe myself as a pastor, evangelist, Bible teacher, medical missionary general educator or school teacher, mercy minister, youth worker, support staff. This is how people said, I would describe my role here, my missionary role here in Malawi this way. And so he went ahead and he broke down some of the numbers. And this is what he said. Based off of this data, 38% of the evangelical missionaries in Malawi were involved in direct gospel proclamation ministry like evangelism, church planting, theological education, 62% were involved in social action or support activity. And we'll be using this term social action, you're going to see it again, but um, I think we've all heard, you know, social justice, uh, social relief. It's the idea of, you know, caring for the poor, um, promoting just government, you know, equality, things like that. And so 
of this is evangelical missionaries, almost two-thirds of them were focused on social action. 25% of them, of the evangelical missionaries in Malawi, said they rarely to never share their faith. And 30% said they were not currently discipling anyone. So we can assume that probably about half of those people that was involved in social action were not involved in gospel proclamation at all in any capacity. So, you know, what, what's going on? The sad thing is this trend is not limited to Malawi or Africa because I've seen the very same thing in Cambodia. Uh, where we first ministered in Cambodia, we were in the capital city, and the church we were part of had a, a children's ministry. And there was a neighborhood nearby. There was a whole group of, of children, and the people in the neighborhood, they called them Gon Onka. That means the children of the organization because there was a charitable orphanage nearby that helped support a lot of these kids, helped put them in school, but they also kept them busy every Sunday. It was a Christian organization, but on Sunday they had the kids out doing soccer tournaments and fun things like that, and we couldn't get the kids, we could get the, the normal Buddhist kids into church, but the kids who were associated with the Christian organization, we couldn't because they were off doing their other activities. Um, I know evangelical missionaries who are involved in teaching agricultural methods, teaching small business strategies, starting preschools, etc., etc., etc. Good people believe the Bible, and yet this is what they're pouring their, their focus into. And sadly, many missionaries, especially the ones who are heavily involved in social action, are not involved in a local church at all, or if so, very minimally. And this, was, this man, Biedebach, found this to be true in Africa as well. So this is what I want us to focus on um, this evening. You know, what's going on in, in the wider world of missions because what's impacting the, you know, wider evangelical, I believe is starting to impact how oh, even we as fundamental Baptists look at missions and, and, uh, and what the mission of the church really is. So I want us to spend some time and look at what's called the missional movement. I don't know if any of you have heard this term, um, but the missional movement, to me it's kind of like a, a reincarnation of the social gospel of the early 1900s, and we'll see why in a few minutes. But um, this, is a, this is a trend that has been growing in popularity since the early 2000s. So within the last 20 years is when it's really taken off. And, um, and so it, it started kind of with, with more liberal Christianity. It's now grown to influence evangelicals, and I believe it's, it's starting to have an influence even on fundamentalism. And so I want to talk about the missional movement and what they, how they see the church. And before I go any further, I just want to define what I mean by the church. Okay, I believe in the local church. But we're just going to use the church as shorthand for the body of Christ, believers, who of course are involved in local churches. Here's some, just some basic definitions that have to do with this missional movement. First of all, they have a term, they don't like the term missions, they like to use the term mission. All right, I put it in quotations because it doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means, and we'll be examining that in a moment. But 
Missions is something the church does in our understanding. Sending people out to proclaim the gospel. And that's not what they mean, but they say mission is the essence of the church. And before we get into some, what I, what I would say is negative things and fallacies, I do want to point out that this movement has um, some, I think, some good things associated with it. A big emphasis on discipleship. The belief that every Christian should be doing their best to disciple somebody else, to be engaging with the lost world, and trying to win people to Christ you know, in a very, very aggressive way. And so I, I think that's good. Uh, I think that's what we all need to be doing. I think we can, we can take some tips for that. However, let's get back to that word mission, all right? They have this idea they call missio dei, and that's Latin for the mission or sending of God. And so in their thinking, the basis for what we're doing, the basis of our mission does not come from the Great Commission, but it comes from the very character of God. All right, so it's found in who God is rather than what Jesus commanded us to do. I know it sounds like I'm splitting hairs, okay, but I think we'll see in a moment how this, how this plays out. And so their idea is, is that, that God has a mission, all right? There's something that God is doing. God sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Spirit. The Spirit sends the church. And so when Jesus said in John 20, 21, as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you, they understand that to mean that whatever God wants to do in the world is the same thing that we ought to do in the world. And so they reason this way. God is good to everybody. God gives rain on the just and the unjust. They call it common grace. And then there's special grace. You know, God saves people. And so they say, we ought to be the same way. We need to show common grace to people. And once we have gotten the, uh, in the door with, with good works and social involvement, then we can share the gospel with people. And so they have this idea of what they call holistic salvation, which is kind of like the social gospel idea. It's not enough for an individual to be saved from sin. We need to save society as well so that people have decent housing and good jobs and decent health and salvation. Another word, and you, I, I think you'll see these words maybe in the Christian bookstore or in Christian blogs, incarnational ministry. What do they mean by this? Well, Jesus was incarnate. All right, he was made flesh. And so they say we're sent in exactly the same way as Jesus. And so most of the time this manifests itself in an emphasis saying Jesus wasn't a religious guy. He just loved to, to heal people, to be nice to the poor. Uh, he liked to heal and minister to the most oppressed and underprivileged in society. And so whatever Jesus did, that's what we need to do. But I want to ask a question. Do we have the same mission as Jesus Christ did? What do you think? Why was Jesus Christ sent to earth? He was sent on a totally different mission than what we've been sent on. But when we say, oh, it's just all the same thing coming from God, we end up getting confused because basically they're saying, we need to be God, we need to be Jesus. We need to take care of every part of people. 
when that's not really what Jesus ever told us to do. And there's this confusion about, here's another word you hear all the time, kingdom work. We're doing kingdom work. And I'm not even going to delve into this. But, you know, their idea is we, we need to bring the kingdom right now. And we understand some things will never be made right until King Jesus comes back. All right? But here's this idea of kingdom work. And, uh, and many of these missional, they call themselves missional communities. They don't like the word church. But they, they, have, they take from a, a statement that was made way back in 1974, the Lausanne Convention. And I'm going to quote from it just to give you an idea of the thinking behind this. It says, although reconciliation with other people is not reconciliation with God, nor is social action evangelism, nor is political liberation salvation, nevertheless, we affirm that evangelism and socio-political involvement are both part of our Christian duty. All right? Evangelism and social involvement. One of the men who put this statement together, his name was John Stott, famous theologian, he called evangelism and social action two wings on the same bird. So once everything comes out of who, you know, the, the, the character of God instead of the command of Jesus Christ, everything is missions, which is why they don't use missions. It's mission. All one big thing. Meeting people's physical needs, meeting people's spiritual needs, it's all the same thing. This is a... Um, a, uh, this is a graphic that was developed by one of the people in, in one of these missional churches. And so you see, under mission of the church, it says make disciples. I can get on board with that. That's in the Great Commission, making disciples. But notice what he puts as the pillars of what the church is to do. All right? Bible study, that's good. Social justice, evangelism, church gathering. And so... When we move away from the Great Commission, all of a sudden, evangelism, what, what Jesus told us to do, is just another means to an end, along with social justice, social action, etc., etc. We could go really deep in this. I've probably gone a little deeper than I should have. I just want to point out to you that, that this is an influential movement. It's having a lot of influence on, on theologians and thinkers, and it's having an effect, I believe, on the modern missions movement. So what does it mean for us? Could the modern missions movement end up like the, the student volunteer movement did with this, this level of, of mission drift? So I just want to consider, consider a few things uh, regarding this, this idea of social action. Is this a biblical concept? All right? And... Uh, I think this slide is going to end up in just about every presentation, all right? The Bible is our only rule of faith and practice. So let's go to the Bible. What does the Bible really say? Because there's a lot of people out there saying, look, the church needs to get up and, and get involved politically. The church needs to get involved socially. We need to deal with these issues. Is that what we should be doing? What does the Bible have to say about that? And so a few few considerations, all right? First of all, we're going to start with, with biblical considerations and we're going to look at some practical things as well, okay? First of all, social action is not addressed in the Great Commission. 
All right, so last week we, we took the Great Commission and we kind of made a synopsis statement. All right, I'm putting it back up here. You remember this? We kind of took the Great Commission and just mashed it together to try to make one, one statement. So I'm going to read it again. It says, Jesus' disciples are sent by his authority to go as witnesses in order to teach and preach the gospel to every people and place, starting from the time they received the Holy Ghost until the end of the world. I have a really hard time finding any kind of social work in that. There's witnessing, there's preaching the gospel, there's teaching, but, but this, this idea that, that we have to be Jesus, that we have to be God, is not there. And I'm thankful that it's not there. I can't be Jesus. I've got enough to do just trying to obey what Jesus told me to do. I'm his disciple. And this is what he gave us to do in the Great Commission. So if we really take the Great Commission as, as, as our marching orders, then, then we're not going to see that in there. An, another big issue is that, that people are confused between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we understand from the Bible there's a the big difference between what God expected out of Israel in the Old Testament and what God expects out of the church today. Correct? We understand it's not, not the same thing. There's a difference. And so you'll see a lot of people nowadays who, who want to go back to the Old Testament and they'll pull passages out of there and say, look, we as Christians need to be doing this, this, that, and the other because look at all these passages from the Old Testament. And, and the reason that God had given those commands to Israel, he said, you're not supposed to have poor people among you. You're supposed to make sure that justice is served. Why? Because Israel was God's community of faith in the Old Testament. And they were to be an example to all the world. And so God was very concerned about how Israel's government functioned. The church is not like that. We're not a nation. Uh, but I, I think that we can carry that over and say, within the church body, we ought to be an example of that. Taking care of the poor and making sure that things are done properly as a light unto the world. And so, you know, in God's paradigm, I don't think a church is measured by whether they've cared for every orphan and widow in society, but they should have cared for the orphans and widows within, within their body. I think that's clear from, from Scripture. And so we don't see any examples in the New Testament of missionaries or even church members devoting their efforts to cultural engagement, to social activism, besides caring for their own widows in Acts chapter 6. And Paul could have done that. The Christians should have done that. Uh, could have done that. I mean, there was, there's plenty of things to aim at. If you read about the world they lived in, I mean, there was slavery. I mean, just, just horrific violence and brutality and oppression. They could have had a full-time job campaigning against these things. And yet, we don't see where they even touch these things. Where they focus on preaching the gospel to everybody and making sure that they cared for people within their, you know, if, if you became a Christian, if you joined the church, they were going to take care of you. And, and that's where we find it. And it's funny, even in the case where the, the apostles said, hey, our widows are not being cared for. We need to do something about this. We need to appoint deacons. Why were they doing that? They said, we need to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. Like, we need to figure out a way to take care of so we can maximize gospel proclamation. And so the New Testament example 
helps to understand, like, they were focused on the Great Commission. They were not confused. They were not saying, hey, we need to take care of all these social issues as well. I think another thing that we can consider is, is that as individuals, we have, we have opportunities that God gives us and talents that God gives us. And I think that wherever the Lord places us, we ought to do the best to use every resource we have to, to show love to others, to glorify the Lord. But as a church, what are we focused on? What is our mission? The primary and the first thing that we need to do is, is to, to further the gospel. And so Galatians 6.10, it says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we have opportunities to do good. Let's do good. We know that our neighbor needs, you know, is, is having a hard time. We can help them. Let's go help them. Let's do good every chance we get. But as a church, our focus is on fulfilling the Great Commission, getting the gospel, the specific mission giving us by Jesus Christ, not mission, whatever that is. All right, so that's, that's, that's just some, some basic biblical considerations. But I want to look at this from a, a practical standpoint as well. Okay? You know, we're not, we're not going to take practical things as our first considerations. That's pragmatism. If it works, it's right. But we ought to at least consider, does it work? So what happens when churches say, you know, we can do both and? Like, like John Stott said, two wings on the same bird, social action and evangelism. We're not giving up on the gospel, but we think we need to have this as well. First of all, the social action can distract. So if we decide the church has a mandate to affect change in society and to preach the gospel, we're risking a grave imbalance. Like I just said, I don't hear anybody in evangelical circles, in Baptist circles saying, we need to get rid of the gospel. But a lot, there's a lot of this both and language going on. We need to do this and that. Okay? So the question is, how much time effort, and resources must be devoted to each one. How do you figure it out? How many, how, you know, how much time should we as a church spend trying to get the gospel out, and how much time should we spend trying to revitalize our community? Uh, you know, how much of our missions dollars do we point towards gospel proclamation? How much of it is, is trying to deal with society's problems, like poverty, and, uh, you know, injustice, and things like that? And the fact of the matter is that, you know, social action, it's, it's measurable, it's rewarding, and it can very easily supersede the very challenging work of, of trying to preach and teach the Bible and witness to people. And I'm not trying to say it's easy to minister to poor people. Um, if you've had experience trying to help people who are locked in poverty and, and addictions and things like that, it's, it's hard. But there's something especially challenging about going to spiritual warfare and preaching the gospel. And so there's this distraction and this inclination to, to lean over to, to the thing that we can say, hey, I, I did this, this, that, and the other, and it's easier to measure. You know, the other issue is social action is often ineffective. It just doesn't work. And that's not to say it's ineffective in and of itself. You know, you invest in the life of a poor person. You might help them get a job, get a driver's license, you know, improve their economic situation. 
but it's so often ineffective in the main mission, which is getting the gospel out. And, and D.L. Moody, um, I'm sure we're all familiar with him, a great evangelist in the 1800s. Um, he had some experience in this, and he had some words to say about it. He ministered in Chicago at the time of the Industrial Revolution, a huge city, you know, tons and tons of social issues. And this is what he said. This is a quote from D.L. Moody. He said, when I was at work in the City Relief Society before the Chicago fire, I used to go to a poor sinner with a Bible in one hand and a loaf of bread in the other. Dr. Chalmers, I believe this was his pastor, used to forbid his missionaries giving away money or supplies. He said those things ought to come by other hands, and I thought he was all wrong. My idea was that I could open a poor man's heart by giving him a load of wood or a ton of coal when the winter was coming on. But I soon found out that he wasn't any more interested in the gospel on that account. Instead of thinking how he could come to Christ, he was thinking how long it would be before he got another load of wood. If I had the Bible in one hand and a loaf in the other, the people always looked first at the loaf. And that was just contrary to the order laid down in the gospel. So he's saying, basically, if I go to a sinner with a loaf of bread in one hand and the Bible in the other, he'll take the bread and leave the Bible. And, and you know, D.L. Moody, was care, he cared about people. I mean, he, he gave to charity. He organized, you know, relief and help for people, you know, during times of crisis and things like that, but always secondary to the gospel. He realized you can't mix them because when you mix them, a fleshly man is going to choose the bread over the Bible every single time. And I agree wholeheartedly with Moody because in Cambodia, I've had the opportunity to try to meet people's needs and help people. And, I, and I'll do it again if the Lord gives me opportunity. But I have yet to see the case where that has helped them be ready to receive the gospel. It may have happened for other people. It has not happened for me. And so... We, we, we think that this is going to open people's hearts, but the truth is that it's, it's so often ineffective. It just doesn't work. A couple considerations. If this is unbiblical, if it's not effective, why are people adopting this view? And there's a, a few reasons uh, that I believe that's the case. Uh, first of all, and I touched on this a moment ago, social action is easier. Like I said, I'm not saying it's easy, it's challenging. But it does not take this power of the Holy Spirit to help a poor person or to engage in political lobbying or to try to, to, or to protest against social issues. All of this can be done in the power of the flesh. This is a picture from Cambodia. This is from the town that we used to live in, Kampung Cham, Cambodia. And there was a number of Christian organizations in that town that did uh, social action type stuff, um, you know, uh, helping uh, vulnerable girls get vocational training, things like that. Several of them, they would ha many of them had uh, little cafes down on the riverfront where they would train them on how to work in the service industry, work in the food service industry, you know, work, work at a hotel, et cetera, et cetera. This is actually a picture from an organization called Buddhism for Social Development Agency. And some of the monks at the local Buddhist temple got the idea that they could do this as well. And so in 2007, they started a Buddhist social action um, organization. 
And they also have a cafe down on the riverfront where they train people, you know, in how to work in customer service. They help poor kids with their education. Here they are in one of the villages helping some adults to continue their education. And so they're out doing things, teaching traditional Cambodian music and, and dance and, and trying to combat poverty. And, and I'm glad for them. I really am. If they can teach these folks how to read, if they can help poor kids get a decent job and learn how to have a job. But if the Buddhists can do it, I'm happy to let the Buddhists do it. You don't need the Holy Spirit to do it. And so, social action is easier compared to the difficult spiritual labor of preaching the gospel, trying to witness and meet people's spiritual needs. In addition, social action is accepted and celebrated by the unsaved world. How would you like to have to count how many times you've heard the word social justice in the past year? It's the watchword of the day. This is what people are excited about. And so if the secular world feels that we're just interested in the same goals as they are, by the same means as they are, they are happy to welcome us with open arms. Say, this is great. You're into the same things I am. I want to help poor people. I want to make sure that people have clean water in their homes. I want to make sure that we have racial equality. Not that any of those things are bad. I'm for those things. But I have unsaved family members, um, aunts and uncles, who they would just, they would be thrilled to hear that I was over in Cambodia teaching people better farming techniques, digging wells, starting orphanages, helping, you know, working on literacy. They would be, they would just be tickled pink to know that I was doing something like that. But we tell them that we're over there preaching the gospel. It's incomprehensible. They don't get it. They don't like it very much. And that is the reaction that we get from the world. There's always that offense of Christ. And I'm afraid that it, many Christians are being kind of sucked in this direction because it's a way to avoid that offense. If we can be involved in social action, that makes us look good. The world likes us. The Cambodians like it too. They're happy to take the loaf of bread and leave the Bible as well. And so that's, these are a few reasons that it, you know, preaching the gospel will always be opposed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Every time. And so this is a way to, to kind of sidestep that um, by getting involved in this social action. And, and I, want, I do want to take a minute. I don't, I'm not trying to condemn anybody who's involved in this. I know lots of good people who are doing good things for the right reasons. And, and I'm happy for that. But what I'm worried about is the trend that I'm seeing on the mission field where so much effort and money uh, of, of evangelical and even fundamental churches is being poured into things like this, which are good, but it's not what we're meant to do. So, staying on mission. I think there's a danger of us simply absorbing this emphasis without even realizing it as society changes around us. And even as evangelicals or fundamentalists, we're not immune from that. That's what happened to the student volunteer movement. Society was changing. 
what people valued was changing. And, and without even necessarily realizing, they got sucked into that idea. And before you know it, they've totally lost their purpose, evangelization of the world in this generation. So how do we stay on mission? The church must do what only the church can do. Governments can work on social change. Other organizations can work on social change, but they can't evangelize. The Buddhists can teach someone to greed. They can teach someone how to work in a restaurant, but they can't tell them how to be saved. Only the body of Christ, only saved people, only the church can do that. And, and, and look, we believe that society is going to change for the positive as lives are transformed by the Holy Ghost. When I talk to government officials in Cambodia, they hear that I'm a teacher of religion. Man, they love that. They're like, oh yeah, you teach people to be good. I say, well, you know, if people, <laughs> people believe in Jesus Christ, they'll be better citizens. I believe that. And society will, be, will get better. And we've seen historical examples of that. When great revivals happen, what happens? The bars shut down. You know, vice goes down. Everybody, situation gets better. Why? Not because we were lobbying and protesting and, 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 and doing all this social action, because people got saved and the Holy Spirit changed them. And so I believe our focus needs to be on gospel proclamation and the making of disciples, just like Jesus said, both for individuals and for churches. All right. Who knows what that is? All right, only the guy from Georgia got it. What's with that? Oh, man. No, you got to have the pickles. All right, Chick-fil-A sandwich. Man, everybody loves a Chick-fil-A sandwich, right? And you know what's even better than a Chick-fil-A sandwich? A Chick-fil-A sandwich with some Chick-fil-A sauce, all right? It's the perfect compliment, especially if you have some fries to dip in that sauce. All right, you guys with me? All right, man, this is the most excited anybody's been so far all right so so we got our we got our meal there we got our condiment there but but what happens if these two get flip-flopped I know some people are condiment lovers but you know this just isn't the way it's meant to be this is a, a kind of a silly illustration but but the Great Commission is the main meal. All right, it's the main feature. Other opportunities the Lord gives us are like condiments. Okay, they have their place. You know, we, we have this opportunity to do this food distribution and share the gospel with people that way. I think that's wonderful. But we have a responsibility to keep the main thing the main thing. Fulfilling the Great Commission, preaching the gospel, that's got to be front and center. And the Lord will give us opportunities to reach out and show our love to people. And we see examples through Christian history of people who, who went places, they saw the need, and, and, and uh, my, my kids were just, just watching a DVD about the life of, of a missionary named Gladys Alward. She was in China. And, and during the war over there, when the Japanese were coming, all of a sudden there's all these orphans. And she was just moved in her heart. She started taking care of all these orphans. Why? Because she loved the Lord and she wanted to show the love of Christ to people. And so I think there's a place for that. And the Lord will show us as there's a place for that. But, but I believe that, that as individuals 
and in our church, in our church's missions program, that we need to make a concerted effort, especially as society changes and society gets more and more hostile to the idea of preaching the gospel, they're going to want us to say, well, you know what? We're just really about making the world a better place, making conditions better for folks, you know, dealing with, with all these social problems. But the main thing is always preaching the gospel, obeying the command of Jesus Christ. So let's do our best to avoid that mission drift, stay on mission in our own lives, in our church, in our church's missions program to keep the main thing the main thing. All right, any questions or comments anyone wants to interject there? Yes. Okay. And, uh, okay, a couple of a couple of different ones. One went in to China under uh, a teacher like visa, I guess. Yeah. And so the Chinese government thinks he's there to teach English or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, but because of you know that header, he's able also to give the gospel kind of secretly. Mm-hmm. You know, we also know someone that went into China very openly, like the government knew that he was there as a missionary, and was he was not secretive about it at all, and was not there for long before he got kicked out. Yeah. So. No, that's that's a great point, you know, especially when we come to missions, um, there's definitely these creative, whether, you know, creative access countries. Some people say closed countries, heard some people say creative access, maybe that's a better word for it. And so there are countries where people cannot go in and say, I am a Christian missionary. In Cambodia, we have so much freedom. I can go door-to-door, hand out tracts. I mean, it's great. But not every country is like that. And so people have to go in on teaching visas or starting some sort of business. And, and I'm glad they're able to get in that time. And I think that this is a battle they have to fight, too, because other things are always fighting for our attention. And so if you have a job as a teacher... The temptation is let that job as a teacher keep you from sharing the gospel, uh, which is the main thing. And so uh, I think for all of us, really, our flesh, the devil, the world, they're fighting against us. They don't, do not want us to take a bold stand for Jesus Christ and share the gospel. And so we have to, to, to resolve in our minds that we're going to fight against that and do our best to keep the command of Christ front and center. But that's a great point. Um, and... and uh, I think it's, it's wonderful whatever way people are able to get in those doors and, and get a way to, to preach the gospel, even in places that are very hostile to, to Jesus Christ. All right. Anything else? Ma'am. On your, um, the, the drawing you had on the mission of the church, you had four pillars. What was the last one? All right. Church gathering? Church gathering, yes. And I want to be clear, I'm not endorsing that model of, uh, of, of the mission of the church. Right, I knew that, but okay. I, I wanted to write this down. Yeah, so I, I, I found it really fascinating, to be honest, when I saw that, because I was like not exactly sure where he ended up with those particular things, and I just didn't, we, we dived kind of deep today, I didn't want to dive any deeper on that. But, um, you know, we, we see these trends, and I was really interested to see where this is coming from, and I think this is where it's coming from. And we need to be careful because these are catchphrases that are popping up in, like I said, Christian bookstore, Christian blogs, 
you know, even our Christian friends who are in, in different churches, these are kind of the buzzwords and popular things that are going around, and it helps us to know where this is coming from and what they mean sometimes by these things so that we can say, hey, we still need to keep, keep the focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.